Hello to all of our Alpha Omega International family and to those who are watching from uh, wherever you are today. It's good to have you with us for this pre-recorded online uh, service here today. Today we're going to be going back into our series, The Sermon on the Mount, uh, which we've been in for several weeks. And today we're going to consider a sermon titled, Matters of the Heart. Now, if you remember from our last sermon called, Jesus, My Righteousness, we talked about how uh, Jesus, not only are we given his righteousness when we are saved, but also when we're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and he changes us. He changes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And then God promises, I will write my law upon their hearts. And so as a born again believer, we are to desire to know the laws of God, to love the laws of God, because when we follow in them, we know it pleases our God. And so we should say as a born-again believer, Lord, show me your way that I may walk in them and be pleasing to you. And so that's kind of where we left off in our last point. If you want to watch that again, it's called Jesus, my righteousness. But now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going to go into particular pieces of the law of God and to teach that the law of God concerns the heart, not just our outward actions, but the heart. And so for the following few sermons, as we take a look at the things that Jesus says in the, in the next several verses, we're going to consider many times between now and then this topic matters of the heart. And maybe we'll just split it up with part one, part two, and so forth. But let's begin today with reading the verses that come next, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly, while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Matters of the heart. And today we're talking about, of course, the commandment, you shall not murder. Just turn on the TV if you've been watching the news recently, or if you watch the news every day, I would be willing to say that it's probably almost impossible to go one day without hearing on the news that a murder has taken place. It's something that's become so common in our time. Now, no one wakes up one day and just decides, I'm going to be a murderer. I'm going to kill someone today. That's not the way things work. Instead, there are thoughts and feelings that begin to grow in a person's heart 
anger and hatred begin to rise up. And these thoughts and feelings, they fester and they grow. And if left unchecked, these thoughts of the heart will become fruit in that person's life. And then you have the act of killing or stealing or some other sin. But it all starts with the heart. And that's why we're calling this matters of the heart. You know, Jesus equates the thoughts and the feelings and the attitudes of wickedness, of hatred in the heart. He equates those things to the actual physical act of killing. In God's eyes, there's no difference. And next time we take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see the same teaching with adultery. It all begins in the heart. You know, just like any fruit tree, if you plant an apple seed, don't be surprised when an apple tree grows. And when that apple tree grows, don't be surprised when apples begin to grow upon that tree. Now, in this world, the fruit of what's going on inside of a person, the fruit may come out with something such as killing, and today we have earthly courts and judges, and they judge only by what they can see, which is the actual fruit of what a person does. And so our courts are limited, but God, God who searches the heart of man, He judges what He sees and knows about a person's heart. And so God is not just judging the fruit that grows in your life. He sees and He judges the seed, the root of what's going on in the heart before the fruit is even produced. So Jesus begins this conversation about the commandment, you shall not kill. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Who were they? Well, the people when Moses had the Ten Commandments and he brought them to the people of Israel. Those were the people of old. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That's what the commandment said. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. And then he adds this phrase, but I say to you. Now notice in this verse, Jesus didn't say, you have read that it was said to those of old. He said, you have heard. And there's a difference, of course. The people in Jesus' day, the common people, many of them did not read the Hebrew language. And therefore, they didn't read the Hebrew Scriptures. And so they didn't know by their own reading what the Word of God said. They only knew what the Pharisees were teaching. They knew the Hebrew language. When the Israelites were taken into captivity, centuries before Jesus came, they were there for decades in Babylon. And, and the younger generation, when they grew up, they didn't know their own Hebrew language. Instead, they knew Aramaic and the Chaldean language. And instead of the people of Israel translating their scriptures into those languages that everybody could understand, instead they left them in Hebrew. Nobody could read them because they didn't know Hebrew. And then they had to just listen to whatever the teachers were telling them, the scriptures said. The same things happened in the history of our English Bible. Before it was translated into English, there was what was called the Latin Vulgate. And many people in England they didn't read Latin. They didn't know how to speak Latin. They only spoke the English language. But instead of ministers translating the Word of God from Latin into English, they just left it in Latin 
and told the common people, just listen to what we tell you the scriptures say. And the problem with that is that if a minister is unfaithful, he's going to teach whatever he wants to teach, whether it's truth or it's the lie. And nobody will know the difference between the two. And so false teachings arose because of such things. And the same thing happened in the days of Jesus. Such was the case in his day. People who didn't know the Hebrew language heard the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it seems as though the, the teaching was, at the very least, inadequate. The Pharisees taught that the command, you shall not murder or kill, was broken only by the physical act of killing. They only looked at it on the surface. Only if you actually kill someone, that's what God was talking about. That's what, that's what you're not supposed to do. But of course, God always intended a deeper instruction by this commandment. His intent was to pierce the heart of every man and every woman. So Jesus is about to teach the whole truth behind this commandment. For it concerns matters of the heart, not just the physical act of killing or murdering someone. It begins in the heart. So Jesus says, but I say to you. And with that simple phrase, he sweeps away all the false teachings of the Pharisees, all the things that the people have heard, and he establishes the truth. And he shows all the people that he has the authority to teach the truth of the word of God. After all, Jesus is the very word of God. And so let's look at what he says about this commandment. You shall not, not kill, and how he drives it even deeper into the heart of all of us today. We're going to follow what he says uh, in, 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 in an outline following three different things here, uh, three different things that he talks about. Number one, the anger in the heart. Number two, conviction at the altar. And number three, mindfulness on the way. In the heart, at the altar, on the way. All right, so let's begin with this. Number one, anger in the heart. Once again, look at this, verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, the Jewish judicial system in Jesus' day had a few categories. There was, there was what was called the judgment, which would be a, a lesser crime that was judged by three Jewish leaders. If the crime was more serious, it was judged by the Sanhedrin, a whole council of Jewish leaders. And if it was the worst of all crimes, the most horrific, violent crimes imaginable, then the judgment for such a thing was not only perhaps stoning, but then they would cast bodies of those people stoned into what was called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna, which was a valley outside of Jerusalem. They wouldn't bury them. They would throw them into the trash heap of the valley and they would burn the bodies along with all the trash and the, and the refuse of the city. So there were really three forms of judgment. Now, I don't believe Jesus was saying that he is going to judge 
certain degrees of sin, that some are worse than others, and depending on, on how vile they are or how wicked they are, they are then the judgment becomes different. I, I don't think that's what he's saying, as the Jews taught. Instead, he teaches that all the matters of the heart are going to be judged. When it comes to killing, he will not judge the actual act only. He will judge the thoughts and the feelings that led to that action. He will judge what we think and he will judge what we say. This should make every one of us stop for a moment and meditate on these things and realize we need forgiveness from God. We all need the power of the cleansing blood of Christ to cleanse not only our actions, but our every thought. Those who kill will be judged. But according to Jesus, so will also the people who are angry at another, having hatred in their heart, they will also be judged. So will the person that says Raka, which in Jesus' day was an insult to someone. So will someone who says, you fool, which was one of the worst things you could say to somebody. It was so degrading. People who speak with such disgust and hatred toward another, they will be judged equally as the person who commits murder. Why? Because murder begins in the heart. It begins with these thoughts of hatred and disgust. And then they begin to show those feelings with what they say. And then after they say those things, the next step may be the actual act of killing. The judgment of sin is real. And who can escape a judge who knows every matter of the heart? If we are not saved and forgiven, we will be judged according to all our deeds and the thoughts behind them. Jesus spoke of a very real judgment. He also spoke of a very real hell. That valley of Gehenna, he often used that place where the fire never stops burning. There are smells that come up from it. it it's a dark and dreary place. It's horrific to think of. Jesus used that place as a picture of what eternal hell will be like. And oh, how we need to be saved to escape that judgment. If you notice, Jesus begins speaking here about anger, about being angry with a brother. And then he says three times over that when there's anger, you are in danger. Three times over, he mentions danger after he says anger. You know, the difference between anger and danger is that one little letter, D. In other words, it's, it's just one simple step from anger to be in danger. And we need to be careful with the thoughts and the feelings in our hearts. Parents, and I'm speaking to myself, we need to be mindful. When our children have a bad attitude towards someone, when we hear our children speak very poorly about a friend or a family member or a teacher, as parents, we cannot leave those attitudes unchecked. We can't allow our kids to say those kinds of things and, and just sort of leave it there. We must talk with them and encourage them. 
We must pray with them that God will help them and touch their hearts to give them patience, to, to help them grow in gentleness toward another person, and to teach them that we need the Lord to help us with the thoughts of our hearts. Don't ever allow your children's attitude, poor attitude, to go unchecked. It's important that we talk to them, and it's important that we give them a good example. Amen. Do you often pray and ask the Lord to forgive you for your sinful works? Me too. Ask the Lord to forgive you of your attitude as well, and for the thoughts that we so often think in our hearts and in our minds. Let's ask the Lord to cleanse our hearts so that the fruit of our life comes from a pure heart, the kind of heart that is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, a heart that is devoted to honoring Him. Amen. Number one, we see anger in the heart. Number two, Jesus talks about conviction at the altar. Look what He says in verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Wow, how important is this that we seek forgiveness from one another? How important is it that we seek reconciliation from others? Jesus says, if you come to church and you're ready to enjoy the worship service or communion service, or you're just ready to enjoy the fellowship of God's people, if it comes to your mind that there is uh, a difference between you and another brother or sister, maybe a fight, maybe a disagreement, God says, before you enter into that worship, go and make things right. Before you come and offer your offering, lift your hands to me. Go and make things right with your brother or your sister. And how often do we enter into worship? How often does God in that moment remind us that there's sin in our life that needs to be cleansed? How often when we enter into worship does God encourage us to take our pains and bring them to Him for healing and how often in those moments of worship does God remind us that there is a broken relationship in our life and that relationship needs reconciliation God is so good and God knows that not only do these things honor him but he also knows it's healthy for our own selves as well we don't want to be walking with bitterness and hatred in our heart no we want to have love and unity and God wants to make sure we make things right with others. We're often excited to sing and take part in church, but God wants us to ensure that we do all that we can to make things right with the people around us. And when we humble ourselves and reconcile ourselves to one another, isn't that a wonderful form of worshiping our Lord? Amen. You know, this past week, we're here now in America, and I, I guess I'm used to driving in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, we often just take our car and pull right out into traffic, and we assume everybody behind us will slow down. And I guess I'm trying to get rid of that mentality because it doesn't work that way here. 
and I think uh, on Sunday morning, we were going to be getting together for a family devotion on Sunday morning, but before that, my wife and I went to go get some breakfast to bring home to the kids, and I guess I cut somebody off in the parking lot. Now, I didn't think I did, but evidently it happened. And when the man drove by in his truck, he beeped his horn and held it down for at least five seconds as he passed by me. Now, I thought that was a bit of an overkill. I, I didn't think I needed that kind of correction. And it actually made me a little mad that he did that. And so I went into the store. I, I got a gallon of milk. We came back into the car. And as we were leaving, I saw that man in the truck. And as I was passing by him, I couldn't help the temptation. I beeped the horn at him and I gave him a very sarcastic wave and a big smile. And I knew it would probably frustrate him and anger him. Well, I felt so good about doing that. I felt like I got back at him and good for me. And when I got home and I sat down with the kids and my wife to go over our devotion for the morning on that Sunday, I was immediately convicted. And I had to explain to my kids that what I did was wrong that I shouldn't have retaliated in such a way. I wish I could find that man and apologize, but I, I'm sure I'll never see him again. But at least I needed to confess I did something wrong. And before we get into the Word of God, before we begin to pray and, and give God thanks for all that He's done for us, before we enter into that worship, I felt it was necessary for me to confess my mistake to my children and to my wife and to explain that that's not the way we as Christians should respond to others. Even when they do something wrong against us, we are not to retaliate by doing something wrong against them. And the Lord quickly reminded me of my error the moment we were entering into worship. You know, the Bible says, Jesus says in this verse, that we are to be reconciled to our brother or sister. Look at that. He says, first be reconciled to your brother. Now, if both parties are at fault, you would say be reconciled with each other. But if I am reconciled to someone, that means I'm the one that did something wrong. They didn't. When the Bible talks about our reconciliation, when it comes to what Jesus has done for us, in the book of Romans, it teaches God has not sinned. God didn't make an error. It's we. We are the ones who have sinned. We're the ones that rebelled. We are the ones that became enemies of God. We need to be saved. And in the, according to the book of Romans, we are to be reconciled to God. Not with God, because he never did anything wrong. We are to be reconciled to God. But even in that situation, who made the first move? Did you? Did I? Or did God? God, he made the first move by sending Jesus into this world to die for our sin and to pay the penalty and to be our reconciliation. And so God has become our example. Now, when the Bible says, go and be reconciled to your brother, you might say, well, wait a minute. I didn't do anything wrong. They're the one that offended me. She's the one that said something bad about me. He's the one that gossiped. Well, according to Jesus, regardless, of who started it, you go and be reconciled to him or to her. Maybe they are at fault. But regardless, we are to humble ourselves and act as though we are the ones who have sinned. Oh, what a humbling experience that is. 
And I know it's probably one of the most difficult things we probably do as a Christian. But remember, Jesus is our example. He did nothing wrong, yet he came, humbled himself, and he paid the price of our sin on the cross. So now we who belong to him, shouldn't we be doing the same? Be reconciled to your brother or to your sister. Make things right as much as is possible. Paul even taught that in the book of Romans as well, to, to live peaceably with all people as much as depends on you. Maybe sometimes there will be people who don't want to hear your apology. They don't want to accept your apology. They don't want to forgive you. We are still responsible to seek that forgiveness and to seek that peace and reconciliation. And I also believe, church, that when you go into worship and God reminds you that there's someone in your life that you need to repair things with, if he's reminded you of that and you humble yourself and you go to that person, Jesus says, when two or three gather, I will be there in the midst. And we can trust in the Lord to help in our time of need. So number one so far, we have seen anger in the heart. Number two, conviction at the altar. Last, number three, Jesus talks about mindfulness on the way. Look at verse 25 and 26. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus is talking about a Roman law, which all the Jews knew about. They lived under Roman rules and, and regulations. And according to Roman law, if you harm someone or, or damage property, they had every right to take a hold of you and to bring you to the judge in order for judgment to be sentenced and for you to repay what you stole or what you damaged. Jesus says, while you're on the way with your adversary to the judge, instead of waiting to get to the judge, agree with that person on the way. Settle things. Make things right. Come to an agreement about what you have done and how to repay it. In other words, do whatever you can while you're still on the way to the judge. Because if you don't, then the judge will take over and the penalty might be much, much worse. Now, I believe, I have a feeling, Jesus wasn't only talking about this everyday life of Roman law that all the Jews were having to live through. He wasn't just talking about an earthly judge and an earthly court. I believe he was talking about another judgment that is to come. We also learn to be mindful that we as Christians, we are also on our way to a judge and to a court. What am I talking about? Well, the Bible says that every Christian, all of us as Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now at that judgment, he's not going to judge and condemn us of sin and send us to hell. No, for those Christians who meet Jesus at his judgment seat, we're in heaven. We have eternal life. But there are many who think that they can go to that judgment seat of Christ. It's only going to be crowns and, and jewels and treasures and blessings. And then you enter into eternal life but the Bible teaches something different than that. The Bible teaches that it will be a time of judgment 
where Jesus will judge you according to your works, according to how you lived your life. And I do believe that if there are relationships in life that you leave broken, that you don't do anything about to try to find peace and resolve things while you're on your way to see the judge, if you don't make things right, then you're leaving it in the hands of the judge. That is Jesus. Let's look at what Paul says about this day that is coming in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 to 11. This is what Paul says. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, that is Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So at this judgment seat of Christ, yes, the Lord will judge the, the good that we've done for him, the things that we did to honor him, to glorify him, people that we shared the gospel with, all these things that the Lord has helped us uh, to do to glorify his name. Yes, the judgment seat of Christ the Lord Jesus will review those things and reward and to uh, give crowns and things like that. A wonderful thing. But he's also going to judge the bad. And that includes relationships that we left broken, that we did not seek peace, that we did not seek forgiveness or offer forgiveness to another. And so in the same way in the Roman law, where Jesus says, on the way to the judge, be mindful. If you don't take care of this now, you're leaving it in the hands of the judge. And it will be far worse. In the same way, we are all on the way to our judge. And on the way, let's do everything we can, as much as is in us, as depends on us, to make things right with those around us. Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And then he says in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If we don't make things right, or at least do all that we can to make things right with those we have offended or those who have offended us, if we just let those things go, then we're putting it in the hands of the judge. And that's not going to be something that we're going to look forward to. Remember, the judgment seat of Christ, it will be a glorious meeting with Christ. But we also have to keep in mind the terror of the Lord. It is serious business. And the Lord will judge every thought and every word and every action. So, our attitude, knowing that we are on the way to see that judge, our attitude should be, on the way, I want to be well-pleasing. I want to make it my aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. And I want to do, and, and Lord, you know more than I do how much help I need from you to have a pure heart. That way, the fruit of my life, the words that I speak and the actions that I do, they come from a good place, a pure place a place where the Spirit of God dwells. Oh, how much we all need Jesus. And so, matters of the heart. 
Jesus spoke about, number one, anger in the heart. Number two, conviction at the altar. Number three, mindfulness on the way. May the Lord Jesus give us the strength and give us his life that we may be well-pleasing to him. And may the Holy Spirit continue to mold our hearts and to shape them that the law of God will truly be in our minds and written on our hearts, that we may meditate on his law and do his law in order to please him. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that God has blessed you through his word, and we will see you next time. God bless you until then.